Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening your eyes to a new view of life. I'm McKay Christensen, and I'm thrilled you joined us today. Did you know that six in 10 adults in the United States have recently listened to at least one podcast? And three out of four of those podcast listeners say they tune in to learn new things, to feel inspired, and to explore new ideas. And 32% of them listen to the same podcast regularly. I hope that you're learning from this podcast, Open Your Eyes. Our users find us most often on Spotify, then Apple, Audible, Google, and then OpenYourEyes.org. The easiest thing to do is to subscribe on one of these channels, and that way you get the new podcast as it's released each week. And if you enjoy the podcast, please share it with a friend. Okay, let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about a powerful principle, and it's this. Everything you want is on the other side of fear. Recently, we remembered the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and if you were old enough to remember that day 20 years ago, you can probably remember where you were and what you were doing when you learned about the terrorist attacks in New York and Washington, D.C. Now, the day before 9-11, I had flown back from Taiwan to Los Angeles. I was on a work trip in Asia. My boss had called and asked me to fill in for him at a meeting to be held across the street from the White House in Washington, D.C., The meeting was with the Prime Minister of Australia, John Howard, and several other dignitaries. The only way I could arrive in time for the 11 a.m. meeting on 9-11 was to take a red-eye flight from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C. that landed at 8.30 on the morning of 9-11. The flight was uneventful. I and everyone else were unaware that several aircraft from various airports were already in the process of being hijacked and to be used as weapons. I took a cab to my hotel which was right next to the FBI building. I checked in, showered, and prepared for my meeting. While I was getting dressed, I turned on the news. When I saw the news, I was shocked to see the images of the terrorist attacks, including the attack on the Pentagon, which I had driven past just a few minutes earlier. And like you, I was scared and confused. And stupid me, I wondered if the meeting scheduled for 11 a.m. near the White House was still going to happen. So I walked into D.C. while everyone else was evacuating out of D.C. You see, they'd given an order to evacuate all government buildings and the streets of Washington, D.C., and everyone I passed had a look of fear and worry on their faces. Well, I got to the White House and stood there like a dummy wondering if I should wait or what I should do. Well, obviously, the meeting never happened. And as I stood there with the reporters and other people gathered there, I could see how afraid people were. When a military aircraft flew overhead, everyone looked up, afraid that it was another terrorist piloted plane. And people were confused and bewildered by the events of that day. I soon figured everything out and found my way back to the hotel, but everything in D.C. was locked down. The cars were towed off the streets. There were no businesses open. The only things operating were police cars. And the FBI building across the street was under guard. It was just eerie. My cell phone didn't work. The hotel phones didn't work. But there was one phone that was working. It was a payphone out on the street. And there were about 200 of us standing in line to use this phone to call home and to find a way to get home. You see, the airports were closed. No flights were available. The rental cars were all taken. I even tried to rent a U-Haul to drive home, but other people had beaten me to it. Finally, the next day, I found a rental car in Pennsylvania 
And on the following day, I took a limo, the only ride I could find, to the Pittsburgh airport, jumped in an old rental car, and drove the 2,000 miles home. Now, one of the things that changed on 9-11 is the fact that we didn't feel secure at home. The shock was profound. People were afraid to go to work, to leave their home. Airlines weren't flying. The banks were closed. And in many ways, the country was shut down. Fear is an incredible thing. It can consume your thinking and your attention, your emotions, and leave you paralyzed. Having said that, there were thousands of people on 9-11 who faced their fears head on. Of the 2,573 people that were killed at the World Trade Center on 9-11, 343 were New York firefighters. 140 died when Tower 2 collapsed, 200 when Tower 1 collapsed, and 160 were outside the buildings but lost their lives as well. The first fatality was firefighter Daniel Sir, who was killed when he was struck by a civilian leaping from the South Tower. There was no sound, no warning before it happened. And the thought of people jumping was unfathomable. It had to be so bad up at the top of those towers that people would rather jump than stay where they were. Well, suspecting the fire suppression systems were not working, knowing they were likely to go to their death and leaning into their job, hundreds of firefighters entered the towers and started to climb up to save what they estimated were 25,000 civilians. Fire Ladder Company 6, Captain Jay Jonas said, The first thing we saw when entering Tower 1 was badly burned bodies at the elevator. They were burned from airplane fuel as it had shot down the elevator shaft. As they stood there inside the lobby, awaiting orders, a huge explosion rocked everything around them, and they soon learned it was another airplane hitting the second tower. There was tremendous fear going into our ops that day, he said. But the captain said, here's the deal. We got to walk up 80 floors, and it's a bad deal, but this is what we're doing. And without hesitation, we all said, okay, Cap, let's go. We're with you. Their equipment weighed anywhere from 60 to 100 pounds. In climbing, they paused at the 27th floor. As they stood there, the building started to quake back and forth violently. When they looked out the window, they realized Tower 2 had collapsed. Jonas and his team made the decision to help people who were stuck, who couldn't evacuate on their own. In particular, they started to help one particular woman who could not move. And because they had to carry her, they were slowing down everyone else on their descent. So many times they stepped aside so people could move past. When they got to the fourth floor, they stopped again. And it was at that moment in time when Tower 1 collapsed. The entire collapse of the 100-story building took only 13 seconds. All he heard was boom, boom, boom. And then sounds of metal twisting. The stairwell they were in started to bounce violently up and down, and one of his crewmates was lifted in the air by the rushing air and thrown down two flights of stairs. In the collapse, everything above the fifth floor and everything below the third floor was destroyed. But the stairwell they were in withstood the collapse. They were spared and would eventually find their way out. At the same time, hundreds of miles away, United 93 was reported hijacked and headed towards Washington. Two Air National Guard jets were ordered in the air from Andrews Air Force Base. They had no time to do pre-flight checklists or to arm their aircraft with weapons. With the terrorist-flown Boeing 757 speeding towards them, Major Heather Penny knew they would not be shooting that aircraft down. The only way they were going to take down the aircraft was to ram it with their own jets. 
she and her wingman, Mark Sasseville, would need to be kamikaze pilots, something she had never trained for. She was afraid, she was anxious, but she flew as fast as possible to intercept the hijacked plane to do her part in protecting the people of Washington. Instead, heroic passengers on United 93 attempted to overtake the hijackers, and the hijackers flew the plane into the ground. Now, surely not to Jay's or to Heather's extent, but I think we all face fears at times in our life. We've experienced fear and anxiety associated with COVID. How long will we be quarantined? Will the world ever return to normal? Perhaps things seem to be collapsing a bit around us. Maybe a divorce has left you wondering how you can be a single parent to your children. Perhaps you want to start a business, but you're afraid to make the leap, to jump in and give it your full effort. Perhaps you're afraid to do what you know you should, but it's way outside of your comfort zone. Or perhaps it's time for a change, but you know it's going to be uncomfortable and even painful, and you're afraid of the unknown on the other side of fear and change. Regardless of what's in front of us, fear is a real thing. But how do people like Jay or Heather face their fears and do so with clarity, while others of us struggle with our day-to-day fears? Fears like the fear of failing, of difficult conversations, of a job interview, of starting a new business, of making an approach for that business, or any other dozen things that cause fear in our lives. And when it happens, our heart beats faster, we breathe fast, our stomach churns, and we can't focus or concentrate on anything else. So how can we face our fears, so to speak? Well, first, we need to understand that a little bit of fear is normal. Perhaps you're afraid of a vaccine or traveling to a foreign country and your fear holds you back. This is normal. And most people face similar fears. We all have fears and we all need to face those fears from time to time. Mark Twain once said, if the first thing you do each morning is to eat a live frog, you can go through the day with the satisfaction knowing it's the worst thing that will happen to you that day. Now, the metaphor for the frog is this. If you have to do something uncomfortable and you don't want to do it, or you're afraid to do it, get it out of the way. Do it now. Brian Tracy then took Twain's quote and wrote a book named Eat That Frog. And in his book, Tracy has two rules for eating frogs. The first is, if you have to eat two frogs, eat the ugliest first. His second rule is, if you have to eat a live frog, it doesn't pay to sit and look at it very long. These are incredibly powerful principles. You see, most of us delay and defer, putting off what we know is necessary, making the doing of that thing prolonged and painful. But when we take action immediately, the fear we felt is often proven not only to be short-lived, but also less than we imagined. You see, worry often gives a small thing a big shadow. So, step out of the shadow and into action. Now, here's something that I've learned in life. When facing a difficult circumstance at work, at home, or in my personal life, something that I know I have to go through, I've adopted the attitude of the only way through it is through it. So let's get started. You see, sometimes there is no shortcut. There's only what needs to be done. And I've told my teams and my children the same thing dozens of times. The only way through it is through it. Let's get started. Napoleon Hill said, do not wait. The time will never be just right. Just start where you stand and work with whatever tools you may have at your command and better tools will be found as you go along. So are you afraid? If so, start where you stand. 
Worried about whether you can? Start where you stand. Knowing it's going to take effort? Start where you stand. The time for facing your fears will never be right and may never be better than today. You see, the start stops most people, and that's why people get stuck. Eat that frog. It won't taste great, but everything afterwards will be so much better. Now, some of you have likely been to Yosemite National Park. Yosemite, which means killer in Miwok, was given that name because of the renegade Indian tribe that once lived there. And the name killer is appropriate because each year about 20 people, mostly climbers, fall to their death on one of Yosemite's alluring peaks. Most recently, a 23-year-old man was found at the base of Half Dome, falling while attempting to climb that spectacular peak. Some of the deaths are from amateurs who use the cable stanchions to summit Half Dome from the gentler rear face, and they get careless and slip and fall. In total, over 1,500 people have died in accidents at Yosemite. Recently, best friends and professional climbers Tim Klein and Jason Wells were climbing in Yosemite. At 1,100 feet, their haul bag above them came loose, fell, hitting Klein, knocking him off his anchor, who in turn pulled Wells off his anchor, both falling to their death. Now, eight miles from Half Dome, on the north side of Yosemite Valley, stands El Capitan, called the Chief. It is almost 100% granite, and it stands a towering 3,573 feet tall. The nose of El Capitan is considered to be the best rock climb in the world. About 10 years ago, a work colleague got me interested in climbing, and I got hooked. The reason I like climbing is that it's more mental than physical. You must constantly be examining and plotting your next move like chess. Your immediate move affects the next four to six moves. Now note, I am not a good climber. I am a rookie at best and not that talented. But soon I learned about free solo climbing. It's climbing with no ropes. It is the ultimate challenge. I tried to free solo on a very small cliff. Maybe not tall enough to outright kill me, but tall enough to break me up pretty good. Partway up the climb, I got fatigued. In my mind, my sharpness fell, and I couldn't see my next handhold. And all of a sudden, this huge wave of doubt and fear set in, and with it, panic. Because you can't go down, but you can't see a way up. You freeze, and you can't seem to get your mind back. You just don't know what to do. It seems to me that things in life are sometimes similar. Have you ever felt that way? Attempting to do something you know you can do, maybe even you were meant to do, but part way you stall. You can't see your next move. Maybe you can't find your next business partner and you freeze and you can't see how to get your mind back and you just don't know what to do. Well, in climbing, this doesn't just happen to rookies like me. The Michael Jordan of free solo climbing is Alex Honold. Not long ago, Alex was free solo climbing on El Capitan and experienced the same feeling. He was halfway up and froze. Alex says he's felt this fear on more than one occasion. He calls it the Hall of Mirrors fear. He describes it like this. One day, a dog ran into a Hall of Mirrors. He froze in surprise. In the middle of the hall, he saw a whole pack of dogs which surrounded him from all sides. Confused and frightened, he bared his teeth and all the reflections responded to him in the same way. He began to bark at his tormentors, and the echo increased many, many times over. The dog jumped from side to side and spun around in circles, biting at the images of the other dogs. The next day, the owners found the dog lifeless. 
surrounded by many reflections of lifeless dogs. You see, there was nothing in the hall that could have done any harm to the dog. The dog died from exhaustion, fighting his own reflections. I call this reflection fear because you have the capability to move past your own thoughts, your own reflections, your imaginations, your worries, those self-made fears that tend to paralyze and kill your progress. Before I finish telling you about Alex, let me just say this. You are remarkable. And when you look at your reflection, I hope you see what we see, what your team sees, what your maker sees, your astonishing potential. Deep within you is something extraordinary. And you are not here on this earth just to get by or to travel the regular route. You are here to do the tough climb. You were not made to dwell on the small rises of life, but to climb, to scale the highest mountains, the biggest challenges with all your strength, without ropes or constraints of worry or fretting or fear. You walk in the footsteps of giants destined to be more than you often think possible to inspire and lift and create, magnify, encourage, infuse, amplify, and grow the good inside you and the people around you. And when you look in the mirror, I hope you see your unique power. And if I could reflect anything to you today, it would be for you to see that you have the stuff, the wherewithal, the aptitude, the endowment, the DNA, the power inside of you to be truly remarkable. Remember what fear stands for, false evidence appearing real. Too many of us are not living our dreams because we're too busy living our fears. Now, not long ago, a movie was released called Free Solo, and it captures Alex, who recently set a world record free solo climb of El Capitan. It's being counted as one of the greatest athletic feats of any kind ever. It is the first time that anyone has done a free solo ascent of El Capitan. Even the best climbers take days to ascend with ropes and gear. Alex did it in three hours and 56 minutes with nothing but a chalk bag. Now, during his record-breaking attempt, the reflection fear came over him again. What you don't see in the movie is how Alex overcame this fear. Alex says that on that climb, when you're stalled, the first thing you do is listen to your fear. Listen to it. I can't keep going. I'm too tired. The conditions have changed. Then listen again, but this time change the way you listen. Instead of listening with a negative or paralysis perception, put on a power perception. You see, there are two prevailing perceptions in our life. One is the paralysis perception and the other, the power perception. The paralysis perception says things like, my ideas aren't good enough. I'm not sure what I'm doing. I don't really want to pay the full price or I might fail. The power perception, on the other hand, says the timing will never be perfect. My ideas are good enough. I won't know until I'm doing it. I will regret it if I don't seize this opportunity. So how do you put on the power perception? Well, Alex says it's literally like putting on a new set of clothes. Mentally outfit yourself with this new attitude. Just like Superman changed his clothes to do the Superman work, so can you. Put on your power. Put it on. Then respond to your doubts. So here's a simple example. I'm going to give you a scenario and you respond to it using your paralysis perception. Ready? You want to approach someone about helping you in your business but you're afraid to call them and ask. What does your paralysis perception say? 
Yeah, right. Something like, just wait, maybe something will happen in the future that will make it easier, or I'm not going to do that today, right? Your power perception says something else. What does your power perception say? Maybe it says that the timing's never been better. Make the call, eat the frog. The only way through it is through it. Well, Alex says that to manage his fear, he breaks down his impossible task into incremental steps. Sometimes when things seem too daunting, he focuses on one step at a time, making things easier to anticipate and control. For example, let's say you have a difficult discussion with a work colleague that needs to happen. Break down the task into incremental steps. First, write down the issues at hand. Write down how you would respond. You see, by taking that first step, you gain confidence to move on to the actual conversation. Next, Alex says that in some ways, fear indicates either a lack of preparation or not knowing. You see, fear often comes from not knowing very much about the thing you fear. For example, some people are afraid of flying. But if they could learn that your chance of death on a U.S. commercial jet is 1 in 7 million compared to 1 in 600 from smoking, maybe they would change their mind. Or they could learn what causes those bumps and jolts during a turbulent flight. It's just the movement of air and is normal. So learning more, understanding more about what you're afraid of can help that fear diminish. Next, face your fears because it does have a positive impact. According to a study published in the journal Science, the brain has to experience repeated exposure to a fear in order to get over it. In their research, researchers placed rodents in a small box and gave them a mild shock. Then over a long period, they placed the same rodents in a box without the shock. The first time, the mice froze, fearing a shock was coming. But soon, with repeated exposure to the box, they were able to relax. Similarly, our fears may also subside after we face them several times. Think about when you were younger and you walked to the high dive of the swimming pool. The first time, you shuffled out to the end of the diving board. You were afraid and didn't dare jump. But by the tenth time, you walked confidently to the edge and jumped. Last... Alex says that fear can come out of the shadows to rush through your chest to quicken your pulse and narrow your vision. He says it happens because we tend to catastrophize things, meaning we focus on the worst that can happen. But rational thinking can help us take a step back, evaluate the situation, and make the right decisions. Soon, our fear will diminish. Now, John Wooden often said, Don't let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. So whatever fears you are facing today, decide what you can do about them right now. What are the first steps that you can take immediately? This is incredibly important. Don't let today pass without taking action. Eat that frog. This is one habit that will not only help you do what you're afraid of or hesitant to do, but will change your life. Action today will make tomorrow worthwhile. A few years ago, I learned a profound lesson about fear. My friend Jake was 13 years old. He was told by doctors that the cancer in his eye had returned and they would need to take his only remaining eye. You see, he had lost his first eye to cancer as a baby and they would need to take his remaining eye to save his life. His mother was afraid for her son. How could he ever reach his dreams? What would the future hold for him? And for Jake, he had fear of the surgery. Would it remove his cancer? Would he recover? Would he have friends in the future if he couldn't run and play with them? How would he learn? 
He would never be able to see the sky or people's faces again, and his life was about to be dramatically different. In the midst of this fear, he said one day a scripture from Jeremiah 29, 11 changed his perspective. It says, For I have plans for you, so declared the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, to give you hope and a future. Jake has faith that God can turn a bad situation into a good one. He said, Hope's my foundation, and it helped me get through a lot of dark days. Faith doesn't take away fear or remove the challenge itself, but faith helps you get through it. And I'd be lying if I said my fight didn't include moments of fear. I've heard the definition of courage once, and I really like it. Courage is being fearful, but doing it anyway. I think that's true for all of us. Having faith in the good that can come our way. Faith in the fact that what we're going through can eventually help us prosper. Faith and hope can change us. Now, you've all heard the story of the wise old Cherokee. One day, he told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside each of us. He said, My son, the battle is between two wolves inside of us. One is good, it is faith, hope, and love, and the other is evil, it is fear, envy, and worry. I have this battle going on inside me, and you have this battle going on inside you. Well, the grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, Which wolf wins? And the old Cherokee simply replied, The one you feed. Richie Norton tells the story of his son's death, and with that came the painful realization that life is short and fragile. He vowed never to waste another day in fear or worry. His mantra became time, T-I-M-E. The T stood for today, I for is, M for my, and E for everything. Today is my everything. As we end today, remember, we live in uncertain times. All around us are reasons to be confused or fearful. And just like Jay Jonas and Heather Penny, take action. Like Alex Honold and your free solo up your impossible climb, when you get afraid or stop because of worry, like a Superman suit, put on your power. Do so by slowly putting on your power perception. Remember, the timing will never be perfect. Your ideas are good enough. You won't know what you're doing until you start doing it. And you'll regret it if you don't seize the opportunity. And like Mark Twain said, eat that frog. Eat that frog every day. Do what it takes without waiting. Take the incremental steps that can lead you through your difficult challenges. And remember, the only way through it is through it. Don't let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. And most of all, when you look in the mirror, I hope you see your unique power. And if I could reflect anything to you today, it would be for you to see that you can do what needs to be done and be what you hope to become. Thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become. 